Good morning. Today's sermon passage is Psalm 56, and it can be found on page 476 in the Blue Bibles in front of you. Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back. In the day when I call, this I know, that God is for me, in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Well, have you ever been afraid of someone? One day at school, I remember sitting in a design technology class. I think you call it shop class in the States. And there was a guy in my class. His nickname was Sumo. And honestly, I don't know why that was his nickname, because this guy, he was not fat. In fact, even at the tender age of 11, he was taller than I am now. He could grow more facial hair than I can now, and he had bigger muscles than I do now. Now, you might be looking at me thinking, no, that's not that impressive, but this guy was 11. (laughs) Now, Sumo, he had a bit of a temper, and he was by far the, the meanest, toughest boy in my grade. And this particular day, I, I sat next to him, And each table in the classroom had a vice attached to it. And if you don't know what a vice is, a vice is a metal tool with jaws. And so you can can tighten those jaws or pull them apart. You can hold like bits of wood and stuff as you're working on it. Anyway, as we sat there listening to the teacher, I was subconsciously turning the the handle on this vice, just, just innocently playing with it. I wasn't even looking at what I was doing. And then all of a sudden... As the teacher was talking, I heard this ferocious growl. You know, the kind that you'd, you'd expect a mama bear to make if you started attacking its cubs. You know, that kind of growl. And to my horror, I had squashed Sumo's hand in the vice. And before I could even apologize, he, he just looked at me with, with fire in his eyes and like froth coming out of his mouth. And he said, after this class, you're dead. Just watch, just watch. (laughs) Now, not only did I absolutely soil myself, but I spent the rest of the day an emotional wreck. 
I hid during recess. I was distracted from my work. I was, I was literally stressed out of my mind. I like, I like hid behind cars on the way home just in case he saw me. I mean, my, my fear of sumo controlled my actions, consumed my thoughts. And in case you were wondering, that's not why I've ended up in America. Although, <laughs> I do definitely sleep better at night knowing that there's an ocean between me and sumo. But, but have you ever been afraid of someone? Now, now, there are broadly speaking three reasons why you might be afraid of someone. So the first is what we might call fear of physical hurt. So, you know, you might be afraid of a bully at school. Uh, you might be afraid of, of an abusive family member. You might be afraid of a thief in the night. Uh, many Christians around the world uh, can be persecuted for the, are persecuted for their faith. They can, be, they can be thrown in jail. They can be tortured. They can even be killed for believing in Jesus. We live in a fallen world, don't we? And so people can physically hurt us. And this can make us afraid. The second reason why we might fear someone is what we might call fear of humiliation. So we might be afraid that someone will expose something shameful about us. We fear that people will discover things about us, that we'd rather keep hidden our sins, our failures, our weaknesses, our mistakes, our imperfections. Some of us have done some pretty shameful things, and so we're afraid that people will find out what we've done. Some of us have, have been victimized and sinned against, and we're afraid that, that people will find out what's been done to us. What would they think of me? What would they say? about me. They'll think I'm, I'm pathetic. They'll think I'm a loser. They'll think I'm, I'm dirty, worthless. Now, the third reason we might be afraid of someone is what we might call fear of rejection. Maybe this is the most common reason we fear people. So we, we want people to be pleased with us, don't we? We want their acceptance and their respect and their love. And so we fear being rejected or, or mocked or, or simply just not liked. And so we find ourselves living for people's approval. I wonder if any of that sounds familiar to you. I think if we're honest, we're, we've all experienced one, if not all, of those types of fear. Maybe even today, you, you're acutely aware of how fearful you can be of certain people. Friends, parents, co-workers church members, people online. You're afraid of what they'll think, of what they'll say, of what they'll do. And, it, and in, in big and even just small ways, that fear on some level controls your life. So here's the big question. During those times when we're afraid of people, what can deliver us? What can possibly prevent fear of people from, from dominating and controlling our lives? How can we live in a world where people will hurt us, where people will humiliate us, where people will reject us, yet refuse to be crippled by fear? Well, for the answer, I think Psalm 56 has much to teach us. You see, the writer of this psalm, he knew what it was like to be afraid of people. You see that in verse 3. When, I'm, when I am afraid, he says, in fact, we'll see today that the writer of this psalm had great reason to be afraid of people. 
However, we're also going to see something else, that rather than be controlled by his fear, he was actually delivered from fear. So we're going to split our time into two points today. Our first point is this, driven to fear, driven to fear. So if you look at the title of this psalm, it's just that section right above verse one there. You'll see that David is the author. And he wrote it during the time when the Philistines seized him in Gath. We're given more details about this event in 1 Samuel chapter 21. But let me give you some quick background. So David was a pretty normal guy who worked as a shepherd. But God chose this unlikely shepherd boy to become the anointed king of Israel. However, the current king of Israel, a guy named Saul, was having none of it. You know, no one likes a young hotshot who's after your job. And so Saul was jealous of David. He was so jealous, in fact, that on numerous occasions, Saul tried to kill David. And so in the end, David, as we'd say in Liverpool, David decides to do a runner. So he runs away from Saul. He runs away from Israel. Unfortunately, David runs to a place called Gath, which is in Philistine country. And this wasn't a good idea. You see, David wasn't particularly liked in Gath. Because guess who was from Gath? The mighty Philistine champion, Goliath. And kids, you know what happened to David and Goliath, don't you? So, so David escapes from Saul and he runs to Gath. And to make matters worse, when he gets there, he's carrying Goliath's sword. It's, it's, it's like that scene in Wizard of Oz, you know, where Dorothy meets the Wicked Witch of the West. And what's she wearing? She's wearing those sparkling red shoes. And who do those shoes belong to? They belong to the witch's dead sister. It's a bit like that when David shows up in Gath with Goliath's sword. And so as you can imagine, the Philistines recognize David. He's holding Goliath's sword, their hero. And so they seize David and arrest him. And so David, he's, he's jumped out of the, the Israelite frying pan and he's gone straight into the Philistine fire. And that's the context of our psalm. David, he's in a scary situation. He's faced with the temptation to be overcome with fear. And let's be honest, I don't think any of us could blame him. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. David is desperately crying out to God. Why? Well, because people are attacking him. And notice a few things we learn about the nature of their attack. Firstly, notice the intensity. He's being trampled on and oppressed. His enemies are bloodthirsty, violent, cruel. Secondly, notice the duration. This is happening all day long, verse 1. Again in verse 2, all day long. The threat is constant. The danger is non-stop. Thirdly, notice the injustice. He's facing enemies, plural. For the many attack me proudly, verse 2. This is an unfair fight. David is being attacked from all sides, from Saul and his soldiers to the Philistines. It seems like everyone is out to get him. I wonder how you would respond to this kind of threat. Well, look how David responds in verses 3 and 4. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. 
What can flesh do to me? There's something so obvious here that it's easy to overlook. There are times when David is afraid. And that's okay. It's not necessarily wrong for him to be afraid. You know, as people who live in a fallen world, we should be afraid sometimes. He asks the question there, what can flesh do to me? And the answer is quite a lot, actually. People can do real harm to him. They can slander him, abuse him, oppress him, disgrace him, shame him, enslave him. They can even kill him. I mean, this is a broken world where people do real harm to one another. David has a lot to be afraid about. And actually the same is true for us. People can physically hurt us. They can humiliate us. They can reject us. And this is scary. The problem, however, is when fear forgets God. The problem is when fear runs amok in our hearts. The problem, to use Ed Welch's phrase, is when people become very big and God becomes very small. Because it's at that moment when fear takes over. It's at that moment when we forget God that fear consumes and controls us. However, notice that when David is afraid, he doesn't forget God. He fights his fear with faith. Look again at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When David is afraid, he knows what the antidote is. It's, it's not blind optimism. It's not a stiff upper lip. It's not sticking your head in the sand and pretending everything's okay. It's not man up and be brave. No, David makes a conscious decision to put his trust in God. He remembers God's promises to him in his word. And notice the result in verse 4. David declares, I shall not be afraid. You know, this is a prayer that David's making here, but it's, he's not simply praying here, is he? He's preaching to himself. He's saying, I shall not be afraid. He's taken his eyes off of his enemies and he's putting them on God. And he declares at the end of verse 4 there, what can flesh do to me? The Hebrew word for flesh there, it's used a lot in the Bible. And it usually has the, 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 the idea of transience attached to it. So flesh is sometimes compared to grass and flowers, fleeting and fragile, here today, gone tomorrow. And flesh is often contrasted with God. He, he is not fragile, but mighty. He is not fleeting, but eternal. Do you see what, see what David is doing here? He, he's focusing on the eternal God. And as he does that, his perspective has changed. David's enemies might be bigger than him, but they're not bigger than God. God is eternal. David's enemies, they're just flesh, fragile and fleeting, here today, gone tomorrow. By the end of verse 4, all seems well. In fact, this sermon would be a lot simpler if the psalm ended here. However, the psalms show us real life, don't they? And life isn't that simple. Life is much more up and down. The message of this psalm isn't David was afraid, but he prayed to God. And then he lived happily ever after. There are no hallmark psalms in the Bible. If you've been a Christian for more than a day, you'll know that trusting in God is a battle. Prayer is not a one-time pill. Temptations of fear is constant. 
And so look at verse 5. David's enemies keep on coming. David's prayed, but the attacks haven't stopped. All day long, they injure my cause, he says. All their thoughts are against me for evil. These people that are obsessed with his downfall, they daydream about hurting him. And look at verse 6. Their wicked thoughts lead to wicked actions. They stir up conflict and strife. They twist his words. They, they lurk. They're like prowling around like a lion wanting to devour him. Scheming, waiting, hoping to take his life. I mean, just, just put yourself in David's shoes and imagine how terrifying that would be. It's a wake up each day knowing that powerful people are after you. Spreading lies, scheming traps, thirsty for your blood. You've prayed, but nothing's changed. In verse 7, David asks, for their crime, will they escape? I mean, are, are they going to get away with this? Is anyone going to hold them accountable? I mean, isn't this the question that we all ask when we see injustice in the world? The answer to David's question is so important, isn't it? If David thought that his enemies might win, what hope would he have? Imagine how overwhelming his fear would be. At the end of verse 7, David calls for justice. He asks God to cast down his enemies in holy wrath. Because really, that's all David has. His enemies are too big and too mighty. His only hope is that God is on his side. Now, your situation might look different than David's. You're not stuck in a Philistine jail. Saul and his army aren't coming after you. But we all have times when we're afraid of people, don't we? We fear what people will think, what people will say, what people will do. Who are the people that you're afraid of? Whose opinions control you? Whose rejection make you feel, makes you feel like a failure? Who has the power to make you feel worthless? Maybe some diagnostic questions would help. Where do you find yourself getting easily embarrassed? Do you ever find yourself being a people pleaser? To whom do you find it hard to say no? Do you work really hard at school, at home, at work, at church? Because deep down, you just want to impress people. Do you ever give in to peer pressure? Do you do things that you don't really want to do? Maybe even immoral things because you just couldn't take losing someone's approval. Do you obsess about your reputation on social media? Is, is your joy somewhat dependent on how many likes or thumbs up or views or followers you can generate? Do you ever tell lies or exaggerate the truth to make yourself feel better? Oh, sorry, to make yourself look better? Do you, do you constantly second-guess decisions, wondering what people will think of your choices? Do you keep people at arm's length, not letting anyone truly know you because you're too scared of what they might discover? Do you keep your sins and struggles in the dark because you're worried about what people might think of you? Are there certain people Political opponents, work colleagues, classmates, family members, 
who are so big and scary that you just find yourself forgetting who God is. I mean, that your fear of them tends to just overwhelm your faith in God. All right, I'm going to stop asking questions because they're starting to make me feel bad. Because, I mean, it doesn't take much self-examination to realize that fear of man plays much too big a role in my life. I care way too much about what people think of me, say about me, or might do to me. And in my fear, I often forget who God is. And maybe you do too. So what do we do with this fear? In that moment when people seem very big and scary, what can actually help us? Well, this brings us to our second point this morning. Delivered from fear. Delivered from fear. There's something about having the right person on your side that can make you feel invincible. So if a Navy SEAL was your bodyguard, who could lay a glove on you? If LeBron James was on your high school basketball team, who could be against you? If Tom Hungar was your defense attorney, (laughs) who could condemn you? When people can hurt us, it helps to have someone on your side who's bigger and mightier than them. When people can humiliate us, it's good to have a friend who knows us inside and out, yet isn't ashamed of us. When people can reject us, it's important to know someone whose approval we have no matter what. In other words, when people are against us, it matters who is for us. It seems like the world is against David. He's alone, afraid. So the question is, is anyone for him? Is anyone on his side? In that light, I think the most important line in this psalm is right there at the end of verse 9. This I know, that God is for me. This reality and knowing this reality, because there's a difference, this reality and knowing this reality makes all the difference for David. People are against him, but God is for him. That means that God cares about what he's going through. Look at verse 8. David says, you have, ca- you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Those nights of insomnia, when David has been tossing back and forth in his bed, God has been counting, keeping count. Every teardrop that's rolled down his cheeks, God's collected them in a bottle. He's keeping a record of each sorrow in his book. Now, this is obviously poetic imagery, but what a wonderful truth it paints for us. God is intimately concerned for David. And Christian, the same is true for you. Think of all the tears you've shed. Think of all those boxes of Kleenex you've gone through. Think of all those nights when you've soaked your pillow. Those tears are precious to God. Think of those lonely and sleepless nights, tossing back and forth. God sees and God cares. In many ways, David is alone, but spiritually speaking, he's not alone. God is with him. As David suffers, he knows that none of it escapes God's concern. None of it is in vain. 
And since God is on his side, David knows that his enemies won't win. They won't have the final say on his life. Look at there at verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. His circumstances haven't changed. However, he expects God to answer his prayer. How can he have such confidence? Well, because he knows that God is for him. God is on his side. If you look at verses 10 and 11, you'll notice that they sound familiar. David says something similar in verses 3 and 4. However, there are two significant differences. So firstly, notice that in verses 10 and 11, David doesn't say, when I am afraid. Do you notice that? There's no mention of David being afraid anymore. The battle, it seems, has been won. Secondly, in verse 10, David refers to God by his covenant name, Yahweh. That's translated in our Bibles as Lord in capital letters. This is the personal name that God gave to his chosen people. David's reminding himself who, of who God is. This is the same God who has covenanted with his people. He is on their side. That's why David mentions God's word three times in this psalm. He mentions it in verse 4 and twice in verse 10. Because sometimes our circumstances lie to us, don't they? Our circumstances tell us that God isn't on our side. However, David's confidence in God does not come from his circumstances. His confidence comes from God's word. Therefore, even though his circumstances are bleak, his faith remains strong. So David concludes in verse 11, what can man do to me? David trusts that God is for him and this delivers him from his fear of man. In verses 12 and 13, David gives thanks to God for delivering him from death. It's not quite clear if David's writing this with prophetic confidence or if he's writing it sometime after his circumstances had changed. Either way, the message is clear. God is for him. And that makes all the difference when David's afraid of people. Now that's nice for David, but what about us? What about those times when we're afraid? How can we be certain that God is for us? Well, there was someone who came hundreds of years after David. Someone who experienced much of what we read here. He suffered at the hands of evil men. He was seized by a, a prideful crowd. He experienced the reality of having people out to get him, staring up strife, watching his steps, thinking evil thoughts about him all day long. This person is Jesus Christ, the true anointed king. You know, Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected, humiliated, ridiculed, despised, threatened, oppressed, attacked. Yet unlike David, Jesus purposely suffered. He willingly gave himself into the hands of evil men. And unlike David, Jesus' enemies didn't turn back. Their thirst for blood was quenched as Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross. And unlike David, Jesus did not cry out for God's wrath to be cast down on the peoples. Instead, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And shockingly, he himself was cast down in wrath. He himself was punished for the crimes of evil men. Which raises the question, why on earth did Jesus allow this? Well, it's because you and I have not trusted God. We've sought the approval and acceptance, not from God, but from people. We've sought after glory and meaning, value and worth, not in God, but in people. We've not trusted that God is for us. In fact, the situation is actually much, much, much worse than that because we have been against God. We have been his enemies, living how we please, deciding for ourselves what is right and what's wrong, what's false and what's true, what's good and what's evil. I mean, who are we in Psalm 56? I don't think we're David. We're more like David's enemies. We're the ones who reject God and his anointed king. We're the ones who deserve God's wrath for our sin. And so there is someone we should fear this morning, but it's not people. It's God. As we read earlier, the worst people can do is kill our bodies, but God can destroy both body and soul in hell. And so what matters most this morning is not what people think of us, but it's what God thinks of us. It's not what people say about us, it's what God says about us. It's not what people are going to do to us, but it's actually what God is going to do to us. And left to ourselves, the answers to those questions aren't very encouraging. In fact, they're terrifying. They should keep us up at night. Because as sinners, the holy judge of all the earth is against us. So what hope is there? Well, here's the great news. The great news is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we haven't lived. And he died the death that we should have died. And he rose from the grave to make us right with God. And so because of what Jesus has done and by faith in him, God is no longer against us because of our sin. Our sins have been nailed to the cross and cast into the deepest parts of the sea. God is for us and we know God is for us because Jesus Christ has died and rose again. Even when we were his enemies, God gave us his son. And so if you want something better than the pathetic applause of man, if you want something more lasting than the fleeting opinions of people, if you want something more satisfying than the empty esteem of your friends, if you want something more glorious than the approval of your family, then you can have it in Jesus Christ. Because if you trust in Jesus, you can say with David, this I know, that God is for me. So if you've never done that before, if you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then let me invite you to do that this morning. To trust that he alone can save you from your sins. That through his death and resurrection, he can make you right with God. And if you have done that, then this morning you can say with David, this I know, that God is for me. And if you really believe that, then that should make all the difference in your life. I mean, if we have God's approval in Christ, why do we need man's approval? If God doesn't condemn us, why do we care what people think? If the God of the universe loves us, why are we so afraid of people's rejection? If God is for us, 
what can flesh do to us? Even death can't separate us from his love. This is exactly Paul's point in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, e will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I mean, doesn't your heart just love those words? Because living in a sinful world is scary sometimes, isn't it? People will hurt us, sometimes physically, and, and sometimes in other ways. People will humiliate us and mock us. People will reject us and despise us. However, what a comfort to know that God is for us. He's on our side. What a comfort to know that God justifies us even when people reject us. What a comfort to know that even if people separate themselves from us, God never will because Jesus died and rose again and he did that for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that when we are afraid, we can put our trust in you, knowing that the God who made the universe, the mighty and powerful God, that God is on our side. He is for us. And we can have confidence that that is true, no matter what our circumstances are, because we know that Jesus died and rose again to save us from our sins and to reconcile us to you. And so we pray that during those times when we are afraid, when we're afraid that people might hurt us, humiliate us, reject us, in those times, would you help us to place our trust in you and to trust that you are for us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.